Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. You may hear information from professionally licensed therapists, life coaches, healers, doctors, etc. This information is not medical advice or therapy and is not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a doctor or a personal therapist. I'm your host, Jalon Johnson. My guest today is Tiana Washington. Tiana is a dedicated adolescent therapist specializing in supporting teen girls facing challenges such as depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, body image issues, and more. She is the founder of T Speaks NYC, an agency dedicated to bringing mental health and wellness programs to teen girls and women in undeserved, underserved parts of the city. Tiana's community and program initiatives help to bring conversations and resources to her community as it pertains to mental health, wellness, trauma, self-esteem, self-love, and generational healing. She is renowned for organizing and facilitating empowering mental health workshops specifically designed to uplift and empower young women and is also a highly sought after public speaker, captivating audiences with her profound insights and transformative messages. So Tiana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I gave a, a brief introduction, but so that the audience can get to know you better, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to who and where you are today? Sure. So thank you for the amazing intro. Uh, my name is Tiana Washington, the founder of T Speaks NYC. I am a clinical social worker, therapist, and public speaker based in New York City. Um, a lot of my work is really centered around giving safe spaces to young women in a nutshell. Um, so many of the teen girls that I work with, much like myself when I was younger, don't feel seen, they don't feel heard, and they have real life struggles that they are going through that impact their mental health. And oftentimes they don't have the spaces to learn and understand what it is that they're going through. And that is what my agency does. I work with these young women to let them know you're not alone. You're not crazy. I see you. We see you. And we're going to get through this together. So what you do with young women, um, what does that look like exactly, the, the agency that you provide? So it's a lot of mental health workshops and programming. A lot of times organizations will reach out to say, hey, we have a group of young women that are struggling with suicidal ideations, or we have a group of young women that are struggling with depression or anxiety, um, low self-esteem. And I will come in and work with that organization. I'll provide mental health workshops for the young women. Um, a lot of times that might transition to one-on-one -on -one work, whether the families reach out or the organizations to say, hey, there was a young woman in particular that needed a little extra support. Do Are you available to meet with her? Or if parents are present, they may say, you know, I love the way you connected with our teen girls. Are you available to work with my daughter? Um, and a lot of times that's how the work kind of happens organically. 
just kind of going out into the community, being in front of these teen girls in spaces where sometimes they don't really have access to quality mental health professionals. I come in and bridge that gap for them in a way that feels safe, but in a way that also feels relatable to what it is that they are experiencing. That sounds great. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the workshops that you facilitate and, and what exactly they provide? Sure. So I my workshops that I provide cover the cover the whole mental health spectrum, right? Um, there are a lot of different issues that my teen girls might face. So one of my most requested workshops is a mental health literacy one-on-one where we really kind of peel back the layers of mental health and what that is, helping the teen girls understand the language of mental health. Uh, We help them to really put voice to some of the experiences that they're going through. I've had it before where, you know, teen girls might say to me, you know, Miss T, I'm having a hard time sleeping at night. Or sometimes when I'm walking into school, I feel my heart rate increasing, or I feel like I can't talk to my family about this, this, and that. And I'm able to kind of normalize and validate those experiences that a lot of times they're not talking to their families about, they're not talking to their school counselors about, but they're able to speak to me in a way that feels safe and comfortable with them And they're learning in that environment. They're learning, oh, these are symptoms of, example, anxiety. Or, wow, this has been persisting for more than two weeks. This might be a sign I need to speak to my parents. Or this is what depression might look like. Information that isn't always widely available and accessible to these populations. That is what my workshops and my programming provides for these girls. So by the end of the workshops, now they have language and knowledge to understand what they have been going through, what they have been experiencing, ways that they can follow up and take care of their mental health, things that if we're being honest, should be taught in our schools, but they are not oftentimes. For you to be in a position now to give back to um, young women, how does that feel for you? And what what was mental health like, or, or what was mental health like, or what wasn't it like for you when you were these girls' age that you're now helping? That's a great question. Um, Being able to work within these communities in this way, it's, I mean, it sounds cheesy to say, but it's just so fulfilling, the work itself. And seeing the promise of these young women who sometimes don't see the beauty within themselves, right? It's almost like, writing a love letter to my youngest self. That's what doing this work feels like for me. Because I remember what it was like being a teen girl who maybe wasn't the most confident or may have struggled to use her voice and feeling silenced in that way, Um, experiencing anxiety, but not knowing that 
that is what I was experiencing at that time. So when I hear these stories, when I go into schools and, and workshops and into communities, I see younger versions of myself every day. Every time I do these workshops, I'm like, wow, I remember being where you are. I remember having those experiences. So now with my clinical training and background and also my experiences itself, being able to merge and blend the two, it's like the perfect recipe for the work that I'm doing. We're always talking about, you know, how do you close the mental health disparity gap that exists in black and brown communities. This is a way for us to do that. Having folks from the community that understand the struggles of the populations that they actually serve and being able to do so in a way that's genuine and authentic and in a way that is safe for our young people. That sounds like such a gift. And it, it I can definitely hear that it's got to be fulfilling for you to be able to, like you said, write a, a love letter to your younger self. I, I'm sure that that is deeply healing for you every time you have an opportunity to help these women. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, I, I love partnering with folks that are doing this work. And it's very clear and very obvious on the onset, those that are here for the right reasons and those that are here because this work fuels them, it drives them, it fulfills them versus those that might just be here to fill a quota, right? Mm -hmm. You can automatically tell that difference off the jump. And if I can tell it, guess what? So can our teens. Teens are very quick and they will read you the moment you walk through that door. And if you are not there for the right reasons, it will be very difficult for you to get any messaging across to them. So it's, yeah, it's it's important that you love the work that you are doing. Because if not, it's just not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Um, you're also a highly sought after public speaker. What are some of your signature talks and, and where have you been featured? Um, so mental health literacy one-on-one, that's a highly requested one. Um, loving the skin I'm in. Uh, that's a self-esteem workshop that I do. That's a pretty popular one as well. Um, coping with stress, friend or foe. Um, stress sometimes gets a bad rap because of the impact that it can have on our mental health if it goes unchecked. So in that workshop, I talked to teen girls about stress sometimes being helpful in a sense that it can keep you on your toes, right? It can keep you more prepared. Example, if you have an upcoming exam, something that you need to prep for, that stress of needing to do well is actually positive. It's actually a good thing. Where stress becomes a bit problematic is when it goes unchecked, then you don't have the right coping skills in place. So that's a really popular one. Bullying, that is also one of my top, top requested ones because bullying is a major, major problem that our teens are facing. And with the popularity of social media, we know that the bullying, unfortunately, does not only stay in school, right? Whereas back in the day, the bullying would happen on the playground. Now the bullies can follow you home. They're on your screen, they're on your phone. When you go to bed, 
they're there with you. So safety online is also um, one of my top recreated workshops and talks. Um, in terms of features, Essence Magazine um, has done a feature on some of my work with teachers um, shortly after the school shooting in Texas, uh, I want to say maybe a year ago, the unfortunate death of a lot of um, our babies out there. A lot of our teachers were having a hard time with coping. And I, you know, just did a piece on ways to take care of yourself, ways to take care of your mental health. Um, Exo Nicole as well. Shout out to them. Um, I did a feature, a magazine feature with them on ways for Black women to take care of their mental health following uh, the death of George Floyd, um, the pandemic, which was just, I mean, being from New York City, we were the epicenter. When you talk about the impact on your mental health, it was huge for so many of us. Um, so it's just a few of the features that I um, have under the belt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, how would you say that your education at Ackerman Institute and Hunter College helps you connect with youth and families? Um, in a huge way. I um I love Ackerman and I love Hunter. Shout out to all my CUNY family that are listening. Um, when it comes to mental health professionals, those that provide therapeutic services, I always say you either have it or you don't, right? Some things just come naturally, innately. However, for me, Ackerman and Hunter really helped to mold and refine my skills as a therapist. Now at Ackerman, for those that don't know, they have this really intensive clinical training program for those that are studying towards their MSW, their master's in social work degree. And as a part of that program, you are meeting with families, individuals, teens, providing therapy, right? Now these families have to consent because you are therapists in training, but once they consent, you're providing therapy behind a one-way mirror, right? And guess who's on the other side of that mirror? your senior therapist, the director of the training program, your other colleagues, and they're watching you in session providing therapy to these individuals, right? So if you mess up in session, if you miss a beat, if you miss a point, there's actually, there's actually a phone in the room and your mentor will call in during your session to say, uh-uh-uh, run that back. You need to explore this a little bit more or you're talking too much, sit in silence with it for a little bit. Like they're training you as you're providing these therapy um, sessions. So Hunter really um, introduced me to Ackerman. It was part of my clinical training program. And that is where I could really say I honed in on my skills and becoming a therapist. And you know you're doing well when the phone isn't ringing anymore. You're like, oh, okay, nobody's calling in. I'm doing all right. So <laughs> I, I credit Hunter and Ackerman for helping me to mold and refine uh, the skills that I have today. <laughs> that sounds pretty intense. Um, but also I can see how that could make you, you know, top tier when it comes to um, honing your skill set because you're 
you're literally having someone there watching you while you're doing it. Oh yes, oh yes, and I mean you're you're working with all type of families and individuals. Like I said, you're working with couples, you're working with adolescents, you're working with families, you're working with um, white, black, Hispanic, Asian. All, you have all these different backgrounds that you're working with and you have to know what it is to connect with everyone, right? That's the beauty of social work. You have to know how to connect with folks from different walks of life. And the cherry on top is finding the populations that you love to work with, which in my case is teen girls. But you have to be able to say, as a social worker, as a therapist, I can work with all populations, but these are the populate. This is my niche. This is who I really enjoy um, working with and providing therapy services for. Is it is it difficult um, working with teenagers? It can be. <laughs> it can be, and this is this is coming from someone that has been working with teens for what twelve going twelve thirteen years now. It can be right, but here's the thing: I, I'll say I'll say it with this caveat. Teens are naturally guarded for the most part, right? Which is why a lot of parents and families, they struggle with knowing how to connect with them, especially during their lowest lowest moments where they might be experiencing a mental health issue, crisis, or struggle. For me, breaking through that hard exterior, that's the fun part, right? learning and understanding what will connect with this particular group, with this particular population or this particular teen, because no two teens are alike. I have some teens that enjoy music during therapy sessions and workshops and other teens that enjoy poetry. Some might prefer just to talk or journal. It really all depends, but What I love most is really witnessing that transformation, right? That teen who was once struggling or questioning their worth or their experiences, questioning, am I going crazy? And after meeting with me or having a session, watching them come into full bloom, recognizing their strengths and their talents, that's the fun part for me. So when people ask me if it's difficult, you know, it's... It's like two sides of a coin. It can be, and it is, but you just have to be intentional with how you approach the work. And I think that's where the fun part comes. What are some common issues that you see with teens that you start working with? Um, Anxiety. Anxiety, I would say it's top of the list. Depression. Low self-esteem. A lot of my teens come from different trauma backgrounds, family conflict, peer conflict. Um, It it really, it really varies. It really is a broad spectrum. Um, I will say a lot of the families or parents that reach out to me to do one-on-one work with their teens and with their daughters, a conversation might sound like, 
you know, Miss Washington or Miss T, my daughter, is really struggling with low self-esteem. Um, I hear her say things like, I'm not ugly, I'm ugly, or I'm not pretty enough, or I'm not good enough. And that negative self-talk seeps into how they interact and behave in school. And I, I don't know how to reach through to her. Can you help? Or, you know, some of my families might be going through divorce and the teens internalize the divorce to mean that the parents no longer love them. And that in itself can impact their mental health. Like I mentioned before, bullying is really big amongst a lot of my teen girls, in particular because of the prevalence of social media um, with that age group. They're comparing themselves to each other online. We're seeing a lot of teens comparing themselves to these filter, these filter-based images of themselves. So it's kind of like they're continuously working towards these unattainable images of themselves from these filters, maybe the eyes are a bit more smaller, the nose is smaller, but they work towards something that they'll never be able to achieve because it doesn't exist, right? But for them in their minds, they don't know that. So when you talk about the issues that come into my therapy room, it's a a, a broad spectrum, a really broad spectrum. Hmm. What does it mean to be an at-risk youth? Um, at risk. So the term at risk youth is really a general term that covers a wide range of circumstances that puts youth or teens at a greater risk for problem behaviors and or mental health struggles. So at risk youth are some of our more vulnerable populations, teens that are in underserved parts of the city with limited access to quality mental health care, teens with a family of a family history of mental health struggles that may have gone untreated, teens belonging to the LGBTQIA population. Um, that's what we mean when we say at-risk youth. And in the absence of protective factors, those factors that Sounds like what it what it sounds like. Protect them from some of these at risk circumstances. In the absence of that, we do see a lot of problematic behavior, whether it's engaging in substance abuse, uh, promiscuous sexual behaviors, um, self harming, where they're cutting themselves. Um, that's what we mean when we say at risk youth. So that's why it's so important that in communities, especially communities that historically have had limited access to mental health care, that there are more community programming, mental health professionals, um, workshops, programming within the schools that can help to buffer some of these um, environmental and external circumstances that a lot of times our teens don't have control over. That's the unfortunate part about it all, right? It's kind of like I've been dealt this hand of cards that I can't deal back. I can't give these these deck of cards back. I can't control where I grow up. I can't control the house in which I live. I can't control my mom who might have depression and schizophrenia that has gone unchecked for the past five, six years. I can't control that, right? 
and that in itself puts me at risk. But now who helps me and how do I find a way outside of all of that? So that's the unfortunate part of it all. But that's why this work that we do is so important. I agree. Um, you mentioned communities that are underserved. Are are those communities and communities where um, black and brown individuals are living or um, reside? Would you say that mental health was a priority for these communities? In a, in a nutshell, no, no. To answer your question, no. Um, I don't think, and this is part opinion, part fact, but in doing this work for as long as I have, I can honestly say to you that in our communities, in Black and Brown communities, historically, there is an absence or less than when we think of mental health resources, access to mental health professionals. Black teens with mental health disorders are less likely than non-Black teens to receive treatment, right? And that's due to a host of reasons, lack of access to care, sometimes negative perceptions of providers due to negative experiences in the past. But when you hear the statistics 53% of Black teens experiencing depression and about 20% saying that they were exposed to racial trauma, but knowing that a very good majority of those teens do not receive care. For me, this is where opinion comes in. And I mean, your listeners can draw their own opinions. I don't think mental health, much less youth mental health, is something that has always been prioritized. I think now there's more of a spotlight on the disparities that exist in our communities. I think that there is more awareness, which might help to elevate the mental health concerns. But it is problematic that a lot of our teens are being referred to pediatric units for mental health concerns versus actually having a quality mental health provider working with them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so to answer your question, no, I don't think it's something that has been prioritized, but I think we are taking some steps in the right direction. How do you respond when someone says that teens don't have real mental health struggles? <sighs> First, I try not to roll my eyes. That's one. And then I present them with the facts because the numbers don't lie. The numbers do not lie. One in five teens, one in five youth will have a mental health illness at some point in their lives. That means for every five young people that you know, one of them will have a mental health struggle. Those numbers are scary, right? When you think about the impact of the pandemic even in itself, and I'm I'm somewhat of a numbers girl, so I'm gonna throw some numbers at you, right? In 2017, the numbers were 40%, 40% of females, adolescent females that reported 
feelings of sadness and hopelessness, right? Which is problematic in itself because anytime you have anyone that's experiencing feelings of sadness, sadness, hopelessness, oftentimes does lead to thoughts of suicide ideation, which can lead to um, suicide, um, to self-injurious behavior, right? To our teens cutting. 2017, that number's at 40%. Fast forward a few years to 2021, 57%, almost 60% of teen girls reported these numbers. So what does that tell us? Teens do have mental health struggles. And I know sometimes for adults, especially the older generation, the mindset might be teens have nothing to be stressed out about. They have it easy or they're lazy. What is there to complain about? But to that, I say every generation has had its own mental health struggles. So simply because you may not have been able to address your own mental health struggles, does not mean that the current population does not have them. And in my therapy room, the teens that I'm meeting with are really grappling with things that, if I'm being honest, I didn't have to deal with when I was their age, right? And I'm sitting with them and I'm talking to them and I'm listening to them and I'm hearing their stories. And I'm hearing a lot of them say, my folks don't care or my folks don't get it or my teachers don't get it. So I think it's just really important that we take back control of that narrative that teens don't have mental health struggles because they do. And when we take away from that, when we silence that or discredit it, it only reinforces our teens not talking to us because they feel like we don't get it, which if we're being honest, a lot of us do not. So I don't know if, you know, I hope that answered your question, but for folks listening, know that mental health struggles amongst our teens, they're real. And a lot of adults that we see walking around now who are unable to um, have healthy relationships, who are unable to cope with stress in a healthy way, in a healthy manner, that didn't just start in adulthood. A lot of times, if you trace it back, there were cracks in the teen years. There were inklings that things were not okay, but because they may not have had access to or someone to say, hey, this is how you could cope with this situation, or this is how you can calm your central nervous system, or these are some things that can help to keep you calm. This is how you exist within a healthy relationship. If we didn't have that in your teen years, it explains why we see a lot of adults who are struggling today. I agree. I think if you didn't have the tools um, during the time where you were growing up, now it's going to be difficult for you as a parent to try and pass something on because you can't teach what you don't know. You cannot teach what you don't know. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I remember growing up hearing, you know, kids are, are to be seen, not heard, or, you know, you're too young to be stressed. And you, and you touched on that a little bit, but but how dangerous can can things like that and that mindset be for parents when they're saying these things to their children? It's very dangerous. Um, it's so dangerous in that you can have your teen who outwardly might appear okay to you and 
functioning well and doing what they have to do in school, but behind closed doors and when they're in their room, they are hating themselves or they are cutting themselves and they're doing it in places that are not visible so that you don't know. If I am a teen and I live in a household where I'm told to be seen and not heard and silenced, what that is teaching me is what I'm experiencing or what I'm going through does not matter. And if my experiences do not matter, that means I do not matter. I'm no longer valid. And those feelings of sadness and hopelessness that I was experiencing before, now they are being reinforced because the household in which I live and the, the adults in my life that are supposed to be taking care of me and looking after my well-being are saying, what you're going through really does not matter. And now what that leaves me with is to really kind of figure things out on my own or turn elsewhere to figure out this thing called life. And if your teens are turning elsewhere, oftentimes that will be their friends who are going through probably the same, if not similar circumstances, or they'll turn online to make sense of what it is that they're going through. So I, I really, really, really encourage all my parents, even if you don't understand, to just listen. Listen. Listen without judgment. Listen just to hear. Listen and ask what they might need of you. But don't discredit what your teens are saying because we have too many teens in our adolescent inpatient units and outpatient units who are there because someone said to them, your opinions don't matter or your experiences are not valid. And you don't want to be the parent or family of that young person because that could and a lot of times be avoided. Hmm. Okay, so for parents who are trying to connect with their children or their teenagers and they just don't know how, um, what are some insider tips that you can give? And I know that there's patient um, confidentiality, so you can't say mm -hmm. anything specific, but, but what do teens want their parents to know? Sometimes, a lot of times, they just want for you to listen, for you to listen without judgment, and remember, judgment can be verbal, but it can also be nonverbal. If I'm sharing my truth with you, I don't want you to laugh. I don't want you to roll your eyes. I don't want you to make me feel as though you don't care, right? So listening without judgment, I encourage all my families that I work with to have some type of check-in system with their young person. That could be a morning check-in when they wake up. That could be an evening check-in when they come home or maybe even midday, but some type of check-in with their teen as to how they are doing. Um, I love using scales with my families and my teens because it gives you something uh, quantifiable to use. So I'll tell them you can ask them on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you with life right now? Listen to their number, right? If it's seven and up, we're doing pretty all right. 
But if it's six and below, that might be cause for concern. For every number that they give you, I do say you follow up. Don't just get the number and say, oh, okay, you had an eight. That's not too bad. Find out why. Why'd they choose eight? What makes them feel happy? What makes them feel sad? What's giving them a hard time in school right now? And if they fight you on it, it's okay, right? They may not respond to you the moment that you want them to, but be consistent. Be consistent with it, right? Because it sends the message that I'm here for you and I care about you. And sometimes I know it feels like our teens are not listening, but they are. They are. Have some type of check-in system with your child, right? Find out what the experiences are like in school, because a lot of times school will give you the window into what is really going on in your child's life. I think those are some of the top ones that um, I would recommend. And if you do feel like your child is having a mental health concern or struggle, if you feel like, you know what, I, I feel like they need to speak to someone outside of me. Um, there's a few ways you could go about that. First being contact your child's pediatrician off the bat. Contact the pediatrician, let them know I have some concerns with my child regarding their mental health. Can you please provide me with some referrals? Get that referral list. Do your homework. Go through each of those providers. Depending on the age of your teen, include them in on the process. Don't have them feel like it's being done to them, but rather with them. Include them in on the process. Okay, this provider say that they specialize in anxiety symptoms. What do you think? Oh, I don't really like. Have them be a part of that process. And I think those are some, you know, initial things that parents can do. And if you don't, for whatever reason, want to go to your child's pediatrician, um, the insurance number, if you do have insurance on the back of your insurance card, that is a good source as well. You can call them, say, I'm looking for an adolescent therapist that specializes in depression in my area. Can you please send me a referral list? They can do that as well. And you can also look online. I know I'm throwing a lot out there, but I want your listeners and families to feel like they have some type of resources. Um, Therapy for Black Girls, that's a website, therapyforblackgirls.com, psychologytoday.com. These are websites you can go, you can filter based on concern or area of concern, um, gender, uh, zip code. There's so many different filters that you can put to find the right therapist for you and your family and your team. That was great. Okay. How about for teens? What are some tools and resources that you provide to support and encourage? So something um, really beautiful started to happen um, during the first year that I started really getting into my workshops. Um, the workshop participants, like the teens or the event organizer, the families, they would say, how, how can we get more? Like this 45 minutes an hour, it was great, but we want more. So I actually um, developed mental health wellness worksheets for teenagers that they can use. They can access it on my website. Um, I think they're like $5 a pop. They're really cheap. And I encourage schools and families and youth organizers Go on my website, tap into these resources because these worksheets are an extension of the work that I do. 
um, when I'm in person and they cover a little bit of everything. Um, there's a coping with change. So ways to cope with life transitions. There is a self-esteem workshop. So identifying your strengths. Um, there is a mental health one-on-one. So how am I doing with my mental health? Who is my support system? What do my coping skills look like? Um, there's a wellness, there's so many different, um, topics on there. So I really encourage families to go and access that at my website, www.tspeaksnyc.com. It'll be under the resource tab. That's just one of the things that they can access. Um, my platform online, it's all mental health and wellness related for teen girls, young women, and their families um, on Instagram at tspeaksnyc. Youth can access that's my web, my um, Instagram page as well. If they're just looking to tap in to some relatable, fun, informative mental health and wellness information online, And one thing I will say on that point also, I encourage all my teens to do a social media audit. Um, Look at who you are following online, right? If the accounts do not inspire, educate, or inform you, I would encourage you to maybe limit, block, or unfollow some of those accounts because what I've been finding is a lot of my teens are telling me, after I log off of social media, I don't feel like my best self. And when I asked them why or what were the last accounts they were looking at, they're accounts that help to fuel some of those negative feelings that they have. So I encourage all my teens and for my families, you can give this advice to them as well. Do a social media audit. Look at the accounts that you are following. If they make you feel good and great about yourself, awesome. But if they cause you to question who you are, to question your words, or you find that you're always comparing, you might want to limit your interactions to that account or just go ahead and unfollow them. That's some great advice. Um, I think that a lot of people can benefit from those things, especially the social media audit, because I know a lot of people, not just teenagers or, or teen girls, you know, if you're following certain accounts and you see people traveling all over the world or people that have fancy this and fancy that, and you don't have it or you can't do it, it may make you insecure. And then you may start to have, you know, some issues where you're feeling a little less than and, you know, so on and so forth. A hundred percent. And I mean, remember like social media is a highlight reel. I, I tell all my girls, social media is a highlight reel. People are going to show you what they want you to see. So you have to remember that behind, you know, the designer bags and the vacations and things like that. Sometimes people are having their own struggles, but they're not going to let you know that. So meanwhile, you're there envying them for what you see, for what they're putting out there. That might not necessarily be what you think it is, right? So I always just encourage folks to do a social media audit every couple weeks or so. Do that audit. Look at the accounts that you're following. If they don't make you feel good, there's no need for you to follow them at all. Gotcha. All right. Last question is, if you could use your platform to encourage someone who may be struggling with self-esteem or self-worth or big feelings or emotions, and they're on the fence about talking to somebody, 
what would you say? Know that you're not alone. Know that you are not alone and that it's okay to feel scared. Um, sometimes when we are advocating for mental health, for folks to seek out therapy, we can create the impression that it's always easy and that's not always the case. Reaching out to say, hey, I'm not okay, that can be a really scary thing to do. So I want to normalize that and validate that experience for any of your listeners who might be tuning in. This conversation is not to say seeking therapy is the easiest thing to do. But what I will say is on the other side of that fear can be your breakthrough, right? It can be the difference between you feeling like you can't get out of bed, that you can't function at school and at work, to now feeling like I can do this thing called life. But it won't happen if you don't take that first step. And that first step can be little. It doesn't have to be huge, right? It doesn't have to be you calling up a therapist and saying, hey, I want to go to therapy. That might be talking to a, a close friend that you really trust and saying, you know, I'm thinking about seeking out a therapist. Like, do you know anyone? Or, you know, maybe have you had experiences with it? Sometimes folks aren't the most truthful, but I'm saying all this to say, don't be afraid of taking that first step. And that first step might look different for everyone. But on the other side of that, I promise you, can be a breakthrough. Thank you for that. That was really beautiful. Um, thank you for this. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I feel like the information and tools that you provided will definitely be helpful to anyone who listens. So thank you for sharing your skill set and your knowledge and what you do and how you do it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> If people want to find you online or on social media, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Instagram at T Speaks NYC. So T Speaks NYC. Um, that is the name of my website as well, where you can access some of the mental health worksheets that I referenced earlier. www.tspeaksnyc.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Tiana Washington. Washington. T-I-Y-A-N-N-A, Washington. All right, perfect. Well, again, Tiana, I want to say thank you so much for this, for your time, for showing us who you are, um, for what you do, for how you do it, everything. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me.